Take your Bibles, let's turn to James. The book of James, James chapter number 4. James chapter number 4. And I want to take a look at verse number 7 down to verse number 10. Verse number 7 down to verse number 10. And here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord. And God, we just want to thank you and praise you, Lord, for this time you've given us. uh, Just to open up your word once again. Father, I pray for your blessing upon the preaching part of the service. I ask, Lord, that you would help me as I preach tonight. I pray just give me liberty in preaching, Father. Lord, just to say what you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray for clarity in my thoughts and in my words. And God, I pray that I'd faithfully uh, communicate your word tonight uh, to your people. Father, I pray, Lord, you'd use me to feed the flock of God. I pray, God, that you would uh, work in hearts and work in lives. God, through the preaching of your word, I pray that you would uh, grow us. I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would convict us. I pray you'd comfort us. And God, I pray you'd revive us, Lord. God, we ask, Lord, that you would just send revival, uh, Lord, in our lives personally. And God, help us, Father, I pray, just to, uh, Lord, just keep the flame of devotion, uh, Lord, just to lift within our heart, Lord, and just to, uh, Lord, just keep our lives centered upon the word of God, Lord. It is so easy, uh, Lord, even in the Christian life, to drift. And Lord, just to, um, Lord, just to coast through this life, and Lord, to uh, develop a, a lukewarm spirit and to leave our first love. And Father God, I pray that as we examine our hearts tonight, I pray that we would not be guilty of those things, God. I pray that we would not have a lukewarm faith. I pray that we would have a faith that is on fire. God, I pray that we'd have a warm devotion to Christ. God, I pray, Lord, that our affection would be for Christ and that Christ would truly be our first love. And God, that we would not have divided allegiance uh, between you and the world or between the Savior and sin. God, but I pray that we would have our hearts set upon you, Lord. And God, that you would send revival in our midst. We ask, Lord, you to do a mighty work through the preaching of your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump right in tonight. Uh, James chapter number 4, uh, verses 7 down to verse number 10. And the theme, again, there were a couple of directions I was uh, thinking of taking this sermon. Uh, but I think the overall theme, the main theme of this passage is personal revival. Uh, now, many times, whenever we think of revival, at least students of church history, uh, their minds go back to, again, great revivals that have happened down throughout church history. You take, for example, you take in the mid-1700s, you have the first Great Awakening. Uh, In the early 1800s, you had the Second Great Awakening here in America, and many of those spread beyond America, too. And England was touched by many of those awakenings as well in other nations. Uh, But again, when our minds think of revival, we think of national revivals. Again, great revivals that affect entire nations or entire states or entire counties or entire cities. But here tonight, again, this, this passage dealing with revival... Again, James is dealing not with national revival. Now, again, if, if 
Again, if a lot of people were revived, again, it may lead to that. But he's speaking about personal revival. And as a believer in Christ, we need to recognize the importance of continual personal revival. Again, if you don't stoke the the flames on a fire, what happens? It dies out by itself. The only thing you have to do to allow a fire to go out is to do nothing. All right, but as you stoke the flames, as you add more wood, more logs into the fire, it keeps the fire burning. And it's the same thing with our faith. Again, we need to continue to add some more logs upon the flame. Stoke the flames of our devotion to Christ, lest we become lukewarm, lest we become apathetic, lest we merely coast through the Christian life as if the Christian life is a ride on a cruise ship to heaven. It is not. We're on a battleship, we're soldiers, we're in a war, and we cannot let down our guard. So what is revival? I want to consider, and before we get into this, these verses here, I first of all want to consider what is revival? And a lot of people use that terminology. There's a lot of, it's, it's misused many times. There's a lot of things that are called revival that are not revival. All right, There are a lot of things you may see in the news that are called revival, again, that are not Again, the Spirit of God did not send that revival. Again, false spirits uh, can also send pseudo-revivals. So again, just because you hear that there's revival, um, test it by the Word of God. Prove all things by the Word of God uh, before you call something a true revival. So what is revival? I think one of the best ways to explain revival is by explaining it or, or is by defining it as a renewal of one's devotion to God. A renewal of one's devotion to God. Again, it's not it's not getting resaved. A person only gets saved once, but it is a renewal of one's commitment to God and to the Word of God. It is recentering one's life upon God, upon Christ, and upon the Word of God. And it doesn't matter how long you've been saved, it doesn't matter how much ministry you've done, it doesn't matter how many Bible verses you have memorized or how much scripture knowledge you have in your head. Again, it happens to every Christian. Again, if we are not vigilant and intentional, we drift. All right? The flame dies down. We go into a ditch over on this side or go into a ditch over on this side. And we need continual revival. Because there are seasons even of the Christian life where you become spiritually cold, spiritually dry, and spiritually fruitless. And because of that, again, we need to recognize the importance of revival. And we need to recognize that whenever, again, we we get to a place in our life, whenever we seem distant from God, it's not because God moved. No, God is still in the same place. All right. God is still seated upon his throne. God still extends the invitation to his own. Draw unto me. Come unto me. Come boldly into the throne of grace. The reason why we feel distant from Christ is because of us. It is because of something we have allowed into our life. It's because, again, we maybe we've left our first love. Again, maybe we are loving something, again, above Jesus Christ. And it's not even necessarily a bad thing. Again, it may be a good thing. But again, if we place it above Christ, again, we are guilty of leaving our first love. Again, maybe there's some sin in our life. Again, maybe, uh, maybe we're, we're too occupied with the things of this world that we forget the things of God. Whatever reason it is, whenever we go through seasons where we are spiritually dry, spiritually cold, again, it's not, again, our response should not be just to give up and give in. Our response should be to recognize, I need revival. 
I need revival within my personal life. Psalm 85, 6, the psalmist cried out to God, Will not thou revive us again, that thy people may rejoice in thee? Is that the cry of your heart tonight? Will thou not revive us again? Can a lot of people talk about revival in America? Revival, again, and, and again, amongst the, amongst the Western nations, or a revival, uh, again, across the country. But what we need to recognize is that revival begins within. Revival begins with when individual people get serious about the things of God, can focus their heart upon God, can have a longing and a passion for the glory of God, can forsake sin, repent of sin, Again, and take up the cross and follow after the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, that is when revival happens. When individuals get serious about the things of God. So the question needs to be asked, when do we need revival? When do we need revival? Let me give you a list of things here that I wrote down. And again, if you're honest, then you'll recognize that we all need revival. Let me go through this list here. When do we need revival? We need revival when we no longer love Christ like we once did. Right? If you can look back upon your life and say, again, 10 years, I was more fervent in my devotion to Christ. I, I loved him more. I had a greater hunger for the word of God. And that shows you your need for revival. And don't just say, don't just let bygones be bygones and say, well, that was in the past. Again, I missed those days. Again, rekindle that. Again, just because it was in the past. Again, yes, that's great. But why is that not happening now? Again, rekindle that devotion to God. When do we need revival? When we are more consumed with earthly interests than eternal pursuits. When we would rather scroll on social media or watch television than pray or read God's word. When church potlucks are better attended than church prayer meetings. When our service to God becomes joyless and passionless. When we have time for sports, hobbies, other interests, but not for church, Bible study, and prayer. When we can set through sermons and not be convicted or moved by the Spirit of God. When we are more consumed with pursuing earthly riches than we are with pursuing eternal riches. When family worship no longer happens in the home. When the pursuit of a career becomes more important than fulfilling the Great Commission. When sin is not readily confessed, repented of, and forsaken in the life of the church or in personal lives. When we honor God with our lips but our heart is far from him. When setting through a church service bores us instead of stirs us. When following Christ becomes a matter of convenience rather than conviction. When our conversation with others is no longer spiritually edifying, but is marked by gossip, a critical spirit, and a lack of charity. When we begin looking more like the world than like Jesus Christ. When we avoid the fellowship of God's people. When we are more influenced by, the pe by people's opinions than we are by God's opinion, as stated in his word. When we are not actively involved in praying for the lost and seeking the salvation of the lost. And when we are fine with watching movies and television shows and internet videos that use God's name in vain or that promote immorality. When we get to the place in our life, and here's a big one, when we get to the place in our life where we don't see our need for revival. And if we get to the place in our life where we're just coasting along and again we're fine without revival, that shows us our need of revival. Again, and we could go on and on and on and on and on with that list and give many examples. And if we're honest with ourselves, between us and God, then I think each one of us would admit that there are seasons of life when we desperately need revival. Really, all the time we need revival. Continually we need revival. 
Get on a weekly basis, on a daily basis. We need revival. And James here gives us the key to personal revival. He shows us here some principles that if applied, that if lived out, again, will lead us to live in that state of continual revival. And where the flame of devotion to God is not going out, but is being stoked and is growing and increasing. And our love for Christ is growing and becoming more real and more lived out in our, in our life. So let's look at these principles here. Beginning in verse number 7, we see the first principle is the principle of submission to God. Submission to God. Verse number 7. James says here, submit yourselves therefore to God. Now again, this is practical. You know, this, this is not some complicated theology. No, the first step in spiritual victory, the first step in personal revival is submission to God. But sadly, many people never get past this first step because they don't want to give up the reins of their life to Jesus Christ. They don't want to get out of the driver's seat and let Christ drive. Again, they don't want to allow Christ to, again, uh, again, be their leader, be their Lord, be their commander in all areas of life. Again, whenever I have that attitude, again, that I again am more concerned with fulfilling my will than God's will, then there's no way I'm going to have spiritual victory. Then there is no way I'm going to have spiritual victory or revival within my life. Personal revival, it happens when I recenter my life upon God. Again, when I when I come back to the Word of God, again, you look at national revivals. Again, in most of those national revivals that have happened in our nation can be traced back to two things, prayer and the study of the word of God. When there is a back to the Bible movement and people say, again, we are hungry for the word. We want the word of God, nothing more and nothing less. And they fall on their face before God and they are people of prayer. It is then that God sends revival to his people. We see here this word submit is a military term. It literally means to rank under. It means to get in your proper rank. Right? Just as in the military, again, you have higher ranks, you have lower ranks. Uh, again, people get in their proper ranks. So it is with God. Again, we are in the Lord's army. All right? He is the commander in chief of this army. Again, and we are his soldiers. And it is our responsibility to submit to his leadership. Again, to rank under Christ. And to place ourselves in submission to him and his will and to his and to his word. So this is the first step. Again, and don't overcomplicate this. Again, but sadly, most people don't make it past this first step here. And again, that is why they don't have this continual personal revival going on within their life. Because again, they're still trying to, they're, 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 they're clenching onto their life. They're clenching onto the wheel. They're clenching onto the reins of their life. And again, they, they will not let go of the control of their life. Again, but there has to come a point in our life, and we're not just at salvation, but even as we as we grow in sanctification, where we say, God, again, I, I want your will done in my life, not my will done. Get out, God, I'm not, I'm not, again, trying to fulfill some selfish agenda and trying to, again, have your blessing upon it. Oh, God, I, I forget about my agendas, forget about my plans. Again, throw them out the window. God, I want your will done. And God, my life doesn't belong to me. I have been purchased by the precious blood of Christ. I belong to you. God, I want your will done through my life. That is submission. We also see that there is not only submission, there is also resistance. We submit to God, and verse 7 says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Recognize that you are in a spiritual battle. All right, Satan is very real. The Bible describes him as your adversary, your enemy. The Bible describes, it describes him as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he is subtle, he is sly. And he, he doesn't come and announce that he is here to deceive you. No, he comes as an angel of light. Again, he looks gentlemanly and, again, polished. And, again, he, he, he comes in a manner that, again, many people are deceived by. We see that he comes, and again, he, 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 is, again, he is bent on destroying you. Satan is the enemy of your soul. And even as a believer in Jesus Christ, again, yes, again, Satan cannot ultimately destroy you in hell. But at the same time, again, he will do all that he can to destroy your spiritual fruitfulness. He doesn't want you to be a witness. He doesn't want you to take serious the command to make disciples of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want you to be a person of prayer. He doesn't want you to have a godly testimony, uh, again, so that the name of Christ is dragged through the mud because of your life. And he will do all that he can to hinder your testimony, to hinder your walk, to ruin you before others, and to keep you from producing spiritual fruit to the glory of God. And you need to recognize that. You need to recognize that there is a very real enemy that is trying to destroy you, destroy your marriage, destroy your family, destroy your church, destroy those around you. And he will oppose you and he will resist you and he will try to deceive you. And therefore, the Bible says, again, our response is to oppose him. Our response is to resist him. Now, again, there's a lot of Again, bad theology out there regarding how this is to be done. And there are those who would teach, well, as Christians, again, we just need to rebuke the devil. All right? We just need to rebuke the devil. And again, then, again, that's what we need to do, and then he'll leave us alone. The only problem with that, again, is the Bible doesn't teach that. All right? The Bible never teaches that believers have the authority to rebuke the devil. All right? That is not based in Scripture. All right, the Lord rebukes the devil, and we have, we see that, for example, in Zechariah 3.2. It says, And the Lord said unto Satan, The Lord rebuke thee, O Satan. In Jude chapter 1, it's interesting, Michael the archangel, even Michael the archangel wouldn't rebuke the devil. Rather, he said, The Lord rebuke thee. He recognized, again, that even he didn't have authority to do that. Jude chapter 1, the Bible says, Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil... Durst not bring against him an, a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. All right, so again, our response is not to think that somehow we have the authority to rebuke the devil. Um, no, the Bible makes it clear that our response is to, is to resist him. Is to, number one, submit to God. That's step number one. Step number two is to resist, is to oppose the devil. So how do we do that? Well, remember the fact that we are soldiers. Again, we are warriors. We are in the Lord's army. The Bible makes it clear in Ephesians 6, again, that he has given us the sword of the spirit, which is what? Which is the word of God. Don't overcomplicate this. All right, we resist the devil with the word of God. I'm not going to go back and look at the passage we have in the past, but again, you go back to the uh, temptation of Christ in the wilderness. Again, multiple occasions, Satan came, he tempted Christ. Again, he tried to uh, tempt him with the lust of the eyes, with the lust of the flesh, and with the pride of life. Again, the same way that he brings temptations into our life. And every single time, how did Jesus respond? Jesus pointed him back to the word of God. Thus 
saith the Lord, and saved them went his way. He pointed them back to the truth of the word of God in order to repel the lies of the enemy. And we're called to do the same. We use the word of God. And we don't have the authority. God has the authority in his word to rebuke the devil. And if you want to resist the devil, use the word of God. Use the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And this is one reason why renewing your mind in the word of God is so important. Again, if you don't know the word of God, again, you don't know how to use your sword. Again, if you're not daily meditating upon the word of God, then again, you're not ready for battle. Don't leave your sword behind. Again, Satan tempts us with lies. All right, Satan tempts us with lies. Again, he, use, he, he has many false ideology, false beliefs that he tempts us with. And again, if, if we are not in the word of God, if we don't meditate upon the word of God, if we don't renew our minds in the word of God, then our minds become a prime target for Satan's lies to enter in. They become a prime target for that to happen. That's what the Bible teaches us, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. We are to be casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Every single thought that you have in your mind needs to be brought into, again, into conformity with the word of God. It needs to be brought into obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is how you will cast down imaginations. That is how you will cast down the lies of Satan. Again, and not be a target for his lies. You will not, again, believe his lies and be tossed to and fro with, uh, with, with, again, all of his false ideologies. If your mind is rooted in the word of God, we need to know the word of God. We need to study the word of God. We need to hear the word of God preached. We, again, need to memorize the word of God. We need to meditate upon the word of God again and again and again and again. Why? Because it is, a, it is as a shield to our mind. Again, that, 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 that makes our mind impenetrable, uh, again, to the lies that Satan shoots our way. The word is the sword of the spirit. The Bible says when we, again, when we repel the lies with the sword of the spirit, when we believe the word of God, know the word of God, live out the word of God, again, Satan flees. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 11, again, the, the, the account where Jesus was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, and Jesus repelled the temptations of Satan with the word of God. And here's what the Bible says. In Matthew 4, 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. Jesus used the sword of the Spirit in order to repel the attacks of Satan. What was he doing? Again, he was showing us how we are to repel the attacks of Satan. How we are to cast down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Again, the lies of Satan, the lies of Satan that try to, again, uh, deceive us, uh, lead us astray, can cause us to depart from the word of God in, in some area of our thinking or some area of our life. The way we combat that is with the word of God, knowing the word of God, reading the word of God. Again, on a daily basis, not just, again, coming here and listening to preaching, again, for a couple of hours on Sunday is good and it's necessary, but it's not enough. Right? You need it on the job site. You need it on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday. Again, you can't, again, you can't go into battle without your sword. You need the word of God within you. Let's continue on, though. We also see another step. 
And revival is not only submission to God, resistance to the devil, but also nearness to God. Consider what verse number 8 says here. Verse number 8, here's an invitation from God. Again, an incredible invitation. Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. The Bible explains that there's two main ways that we draw nigh to God. We draw nigh to God through prayer, and we draw nigh to God through spending time in his word. All right. Again, if we're not doing those basic things, again, then we're not drawing nigh to God as he has called us to do. Again, and don't see this as, again, well, I have to have to draw nigh to God. No, see this as an invitation from the king of kings and the Lord of lords. Again, pick your favorite king, your favorite president from, from again, down throughout history. Again, if they gave you an invitation to come and, and spend time with them. Again, you would be more than glad to do that. Again, you would be excited about that. You would gladly accept the invitation. Well, here's an invitation, not from an earthly king. Here's an invitation from the king of kings. Here's an invitation from the Lord of all creation. He calls us to draw near to him. The question is, will we accept the invitation? Notice the promise that is given. If we draw near to God, if we approach him prayerfully and sincerely and obediently and submissively and reverently, notice the promise God has given. If we draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. This here is speaking, again, I believe this, there's others who say this passage applies to unbelievers. Again, I believe this passage applies to uh, believers here. And again, I believe the... uh, what this is speaking of is, again, close fellowship with God, walking with God, communion with God. Again, knowing God, not just intellectually, but knowing God personally. Again, having a close, personal, again, communion and relationship and walk with God. Again, and this is a privilege the believer has. The world doesn't have this privilege. The believer and the believer alone has this privilege. Of being able to draw near to God in fellowship. Of being able to commune with God. Of being able to know his presence. Of being able to see his working within our life. And really one of the best defenses against sin, against deception, against the attacks of Satan, is a close walk with God. And if you have a close walk with God, again, you're going to be conscious of his presence. And because of that, you're going to be careful, again, what you do, where you go, what you look at, what you, see, again, what you say, what you think. Again, if you recognize that Christ is with me, and he is with us. I mean, the Spirit of God lives within us. Everywhere we go, the Spirit of God dwells within these bodies, these temples. And do we recognize that? Again, do we stay close to the shepherd? The psalmist said in Psalm 73, 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. Again, whenever your walk becomes cold, whenever it seems that, well, again, God is distant from me. Guess who moved? Not God. All right, if we find ourselves distant from God, again, God is still in the same place. It is us. We have moved. It is our fault, not God's. Now, how do we do this practically? How do we maintain a close walk with God? Again, it's a, it's a great idea. And we would all probably agree, again, yes, I want this in my life. And I believe that one of the best ways to maintain this, this closeness with Christ is to spend time with him on a daily basis. Is to find a place, 
again, on, again, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week where you are getting alone with God. And you're spending time with God. For some, it may be in your vehicle as you drive to work. Again, for some, it may be, again, in a certain room of your house before everybody else wakes up. Again, for some, it may be walk, taking a walk outside. Again, wherever it is, making this a priority in your life. Again, consider, consider this scenario with me. Again, if there is a husband and a wife, again, and, and the husband decides, well, I am only going to talk to my wife once a week. He picks out a certain day of the week, Friday. All right, Friday is my day to talk to my wife. Again, the rest of the week, I'm just going to be doing my own thing, won't even see her, won't even talk to her, won't even text her, won't, won't do anything. Again, how healthy do you think that relationship is going to be? Again, we would all recognize that's probably not a good idea. Not probably, that's definitely not a good idea. All right, that is a terrible idea because that, that marriage relationship is not going to be, have that closeness. It's not going to have that oneness. There's not going to be that, that, that communion there within that relationship. All right, but many people treat their relationship with God that way. They say, "Well, I go to church on Sunday. You know, isn't isn't that isn't that good enough?" I mean, try that in an earthly relationship and see how that goes, especially in in a close relationship. All right, husband and wife. All right, see how that goes. Right, again, I'm not I'm not telling you to try it out, but just consider with me. Think of that scenario. Obviously, again, that would lead to a breakdown in that marriage. Uh, again, that it would not strengthen it; it would weaken that relationship. So why do we treat our relationship with God in such a manner? And think, well, I don't need to daily spend time with God. Again, I don't need to have a daily prayer time. I don't need to spend time daily in his word. This is his letter to us. Do we spend time in it? And this is how he speaks to us. And then we respond to him through prayer. And do we have that walk with him? Again, maybe we wonder, again, well, I, I come to church. Why don't I, why don't I uh, again, have that sense of, of nearness and closeness to God. Again, maybe it's because I don't have a, a daily walk with Christ. Again, obviously, we all have responsibilities. We all have other things we have to do. We have to talk to other people. God doesn't say go live out in a monastery and just spend, uh, again, all day with me. All right? Even though as you go about your work, you can be conscious of the presence of God. And you can be aware of the presence of God. You, you, you can, you know, again, it may not be going to a prayer closet and you know, spending an hour in prayer, but it may be just throughout the day, again, praying to God as you drive down the road or praying to God and thanking him for this or thanking him for that or you know, praying before a meal or you know, spending time in the word with your family or uh, spending time in the word yourself. But having these daily times where you're spending time with God in private devotions, time in the word, time in prayer. That is what leads to a strong relationship with the Lord. The Lord has already given the invitation. All right? Draw nigh to God. God is extending the invitation. The question is, will we respond to the invitation? Will we draw nigh to him? Will we spend time in his word? Will we spend time in prayer, praying to God, having a prayer life, and drawing nigh to him? Let's continue on. The verse number 8 we also see that a uh, prerequisite for a Bible is cleanliness. The latter part of verse 8, the Bible says, Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. So the Bible here speaks of spiritual cleanliness. And really in, in two different areas. Again, outward cleanliness and inward cleanliness. We see, first of all, this cleanliness to, is to be in our hands. Again, I believe this refers to our actions, to our outward life. This would involve putting away sins of the flesh. 
Again, if, if there's, again, if we read the Word of God, and again, we see that there's a certain sin that is mentioned in the Word of God, then as believers, we need to, again, get that sin out of our life. We need to root that sin out of our life. Again, we cannot, we, can have not, we cannot have communion with darkness and have communion with light at the same time. Again, we, not, we cannot hold on to our sin and expect to have fellowship with our Savior at the same, at the same time. It doesn't work that way. Romans 6, 11-13. The Bible says, Likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. All right, so God is telling us here, again, you have been freed from sin. All right, positionally, you are dead to sin, all right, in the sight of God. The question is, will you can reckon that to be so? All right, will you count that to be true and live that out in your life? Again, will you yield your members to be instruments of unrighteousness? Or will you yield your members, again, speaking of your body, will you yield it unto sin? Or will you yield it unto Christ? Again, unto sin or unto holiness? Again, unto unrighteousness or unto righteousness. Again, if we expect to draw near to God, if we expect to again have revival in our life, again, then we need to clean out our life. Again, we need to get rid of sin within our life. We need to keep short accounts with God. Again, when we sin against God, again, we need to deal with it right then and right there. Again, if you slip up, again, and you have you have an evil thought, or you again something comes out of your mouth, again, and you know that that, that is sinful or blasphemous. Again, or if you do some action, again, if you, again, lose your temper, or again, if you do this or that, and you sin in some way against another person, ultimately against God, deal with that sin immediately. All right, don't say, again, I'll deal with it later on today. No, again, get alone with God and deal with that sin. Say, God, again, I am sorry. Again, God, please cleanse me. Please forgive me of the sin. God, please give me the grace and strength, Lord, to live for you. Again, deal with things immediately. Again, same thing, again, not just with your relationships with God, but also your relationship with other people too. Again, keep short accounts with God, yes, but also in, in relationships with those around you. Again, don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Deal with issues, again, before you go to bed at night, all right? Again, if there are sin issues between you and somebody else, those need to be dealt with, again, as soon as possible. Don't drag them on. Again, sin issues that are not dealt with only get worse, again, over time if they're not dealt with biblically and immediately. Again, we also see, we'll get to that one in just a, in just a little bit, but we also see this cleanliness is also to be in our hearts. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, ye double-minded. All right, so hands refers to our actions. It refers to our outer life. Whereas heart here, again, refers to our inner man. It refers to our thoughts. It refers to our emotions. It refers to our will. It refers to who we are on the inside. So we are to be cleansed. We are to be clean. We are to be holy. We are to be pure, both externally but also internally as well. And Albert Barnes, a Bible commentator, says, says this, and I quote, If the heart is wrong, nothing can be right. If while we seek an external reformation, we still give indulgence to the secret corruptions of the heart, it is clear that we have no true religion. Again, if we're to experience revival, if we're to draw near to God, we must walk in true holiness. 
Okay, and God gives us the grace by the power of his spirit to walk in holiness. Again, you won't do it perfectly. Again, and you'll fall flat on your face and you will still sin. And again, again, whenever that happens, you need to repent and get right with God and get right with others around you as well. But striving for holiness. Again, God calls us to this. God calls us to strive for holiness, both internally but also externally as well. James also refers to ye double-minded. Again, we must resist double-mindedness. What, is being, you know, what does it mean to be double-minded? James has already addressed this in, in previous verses here. But to be double-minded means to have a mixed affection or means to have divided allegiance. Again, trying to hold on to Christ and trying to hold on to the world at the same time. Trying to serve, again, Christ and trying to serve, again, the world at the same time. Trying to, again, serve the Savior and coddle sin at the same time. You cannot do that. You cannot love Christ and love the world at the same time. The Bible makes that abundantly clear. Let's continue on, though. We see another step in revival is repentance. Repentance. And oftentimes we think of repentance as, again, something that we preach to unbelievers. And yes, again, that is the case. Again, we do preach and you know, call for believers to come to repentance and faith in Christ. But repentance is something that, again, believers need to again, have in their life as well. Again, really the evidence that somebody has truly repented unto salvation again, will be seen in the fact that they live out a life of repentance. All right? they, they continually repent again, as they live out their life in Christ. So what does repentance look like? Repentance in relation to sin. Verse number 9, the Bible says, Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Again, we, we see here as God reveals through his word and through his spirit that we have sin within our life. Again, our response should not be to make light of that sin. It should not be to, to say, well, it's, it's no big deal, everybody else does it. It should not be to try to sweep it under the rug and say, nobody, nobody will find out about this sin over here. No, when God reveals sin in our life through his word and through his spirit, again, our response should be heartfelt repentance, brokenness over sin. The Bible speaks of a godly sorrow that leadeth to repentance, not to be repented of. And that is the kind of repentance that God expects even of his own children. And whenever his own children fall into sin, again, there should be a, again, not a lightness over, over that sin. There should be a brokenness over sin. That the sin that, again, nailed my Savior to the cross, again, that I have, again, that I have chosen to give in to that. Again, and that should break my heart to think of that reality. Matthew 5, verse 4, the Bible says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. The Bible says there is a blessing for those who mourn over their sin. There is a blessing for those who are broken over their sin. There is a blessing for those who have godly sorrow over their sin. As one Bible teacher says, and I quote, he says, Mourning and heaviness always accompany a deep sense of sin. The Bible is the most joyful book in the world. And Christianity, the most joyful religion. But the real abiding joy of the cleansed and forgiven sinner can only come after deep sorrow for sin. I think that's important for us to recognize. Again, true abiding joy comes after forgiveness. It comes after repentance. Again, those who, again, repent and are forgiven much by God, again, it is usually those that are the most joyful. Because they recognize, again, they have been broken over their sin. 
Again, but they've also been cleansed of that sin. They've been forgiven of that sin and leads to a true abiding joy. Again, knowing that Christ has, although, again, I, 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 I deserve judgment for that sin. Again, I've received cleansing for that sin. Again, many people are strangers to the joy of Christ because they've never had a deep sorrow over their sin. I, 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 again, my observation, I think that that's one reason why there's many churches um, again, that churches that don't preach against sin, churches that, uh, again, would never preach on repentance, for example, um, are usually entertainment-oriented churches because they have to be. All right, They, they have to give people that, that euphoria. They have to give people that, 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 that feeling of, again, uh, again uh, th- that good feeling within. Why? Because many people in those churches, they, they want their sin, but they also want to feel like they're good with God at the same time. And if they can have some emotional rush, it makes them feel good, and it makes them for, feel warm and fuzzy inside, and it makes them feel that, again, they are good with God. It's been said that entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. Entertainment is the devil's substitute for joy. You know, who experiences true joy? Again, those who have truly been broken over their sin, those who have truly repented and had that godly sorrow over their sin, again, who, who, have, who have wept over their sin, who have, again, recognized, again, how their sin has grieved the heart of God and they've responded in heartfelt repentance to God. It is those that, again, are often the most joyful people because they know that, yes, I've sinned, I've sinned greatly, but I also have a great Savior. Who has forgiven me of my sin. Who has cleansed me of my sin. And because of that, I am a, I am a joy-filled believer. Because I, I know what it's like again, to, to sin, but also be broken over that sin. And also to be cleansed of that sin. So we see repentance. Repentance leads to revival. We also see here that humility leads to revival. Take a look at verse number 10. The Bible says, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift. You up. Consider some verses with me. Psalm 34, verse 18. The psalmist says, For the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Isaiah 66, verse 2. For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor and of a contrite spirit, and trembleth at my word. Again, who does God look to? The man who trembles at the word of God. Again, the man who humbles himself before God. The one who has a contrite spirit. And this ties in with the repentance we just spoke about. Again, the one who is contrite. The one who, again, has a, has a broken heart over his sin. And God blesses that one. The Lord is close to that one. And those who humble themselves before God, the Bible makes it clear, it is those that will be lifted up by God. The way up in God's kingdom is the way down. The path of humility is the path of exaltation. Again, our world has it backwards. Again, they think that you promote yourself, again, and therefore that is the path of exaltation. No, God says it's the, it's the complete opposite. He takes the world's ideology and he flips it over. He flips it on his head and says, that's not how it works in my kingdom. In my kingdom, it is the humble that are exalted. It's not the proud. It's not the arrogant. It's not those that that beat down all those around them. No, it is the humble. It is the contrite. It is the one who trembles at my word. That is the one that I exalt. It is the humble one. 
Matthew 23, 12, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased. And he that shall humble himself shall be exalted. And you can look down throughout human history and see many examples of those who exalted themselves and they were abased. Think of Nebuchadnezzar, again, as one example of that. Again, a man who was, who was very proud, who was very arrogant, who boasted of all his accomplishments. And what did God do? God humbled Nebuchadnezzar. God taught him a lesson. And after Nebuchadnezzar was humbled, what did he do? He worshipped God. He got in his rightful place. He submitted to God and recognized that there's only one true God who, who deserves the credit for all these things. Again, not me, not others, but God alone deserves glory. Those who try to exalt themselves, God will bring them down. God will humble them in some way. But those who humble themselves shall be exalted. That's why 1 Peter 5, 6 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. So as we look at the text before us, in a text that I believe applies to believers in Christ, and again, what true revival looks like within our lives, you can ask yourself, again, has your faith in Christ, has your walk with God, has it grown distant? Has it grown cold? Has it grown barren? Again, is there, is there a sense of, of, of distance between you and God? You can ask yourself, why is that? Again, it's not God's fault. There's something in, 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 in our life, in your life. And that is, that is hindering that close fellowship with God. You can ask yourself, what do I need to do? Do I need to, again, submit to God? Again, recenter my life upon, again, God and upon his word? Have I been resisting the devil like I should? Or have I been allowing, again, Satan to tempt and to give victory in my life? Am I using the word of God to repel his attacks? Again, what about nearness? Again, how's my walk with Christ? Would I, would I describe it as a close walk with God? Would I describe it as a daily walk with God? Do I spend time in his word? Do I spend time in prayer on a daily basis? And what about cleanliness? Again, is there any known sin, any unconfessed sin within your life that needs to be uh, gotten rid of? Again, not just externally, but also internally as well. Again, are there any evil thoughts or, uh, again, any evil motivations within that need to be repented of? And has there ever been a, a sense of true repentance in your life? Again, what is your response to sin? Again, we live in a world that parades perversity. You know, we live in a world that doesn't even blush at sin anymore. But it should not be so for the Christian. Again, sin should break the Christian's heart because we know that it was that sin that knelt our Savior to the cross. Again, do we respond in true repentance to sin within our life? Or do we just gloss over it? Do we sweep it under the rug? Do we make light of it and move on? And what about humility? Do we try to exalt ourselves or do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, recognizing that in God's kingdom, the way up is down. You can ask yourself this evening, again, where have I grown cold? Where have I grown barren? Where have I grown distant in my walk with God? And then consider what James says here. Again, which of, which of these is missing in my life? Maybe it's, maybe it's multiple of them. Again, but what steps do I need to take? In order to restore, in order to revive, in order to renew my relationship with the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, Lord, and God, we do pray that you would just take the word of God that has gone forth. And I pray that you would use it, God, in the hearts and lives of your people. God, if we would all be honest tonight, I think each one of us would admit that, Lord, we all need continual revival. Lord, it is so easy to let the fire of devotion to go out. Lord, it is so easy to... Lord, just uh, uh, 
Lord, just allow our heart towards you to grow cold. Lord, where we, Lord, don't have the hunger for the word anymore. Where we go through religious rituals, God, we, we, we are guilty of what the Pharisees were guilty of, Lord. We honor you with our lips, but our heart is from, far from you, God. God, I pray that that would not be so in our lives. God, I pray you take the truths that have been presented tonight, that have been preached on. And God, I pray that you would use them in the hearts and lives, Lord, of each and every person that is here with us tonight. Lord, have your will and way, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name.